From BYU Radio's performance studio, this is Highway 89. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. In studio today, I am so happy to have someone I've really come to admire for who he is and what he does as much as I admire his musical talent. Our guest is Paul Cardall, and he is, well, what is he? <laughs> he does so many things. For one thing, he's a New Age pianist. He's released 13 albums over the years, and his album New Life stayed in the top five of Billboard's New Age chart for more than 30 weeks, surpassing Enya and Yanni. He's also a published author. More about that later. He's a touring performer with upcoming shows in London and Paris. He's also founder of an independent record label, Stone Angel Music. He heads a nonprofit organization devoting to help patients and families suffering from congenital heart disease further their education. He's a public speaker traveling the country and addressing various groups and foundations. And congratulations, he's now a Steinway artist. He's Paul Cardell. Let's just say he's busy. And best of all, he's with us on Highway 89 right now, live, with a piece from his 1999 album, The Looking Glass. Here's Paul Car Cardall performing The Release.
We're visiting today with pianist Paul Cardall. He just performed his song, The Release. This is Highway 89. Paul, I really love that there's these movie score moments in that. There's, I think it's the raised fourth, whatever it is. It just, there's these floaty moments in that. I appreciate that. And it's, it's great to be here with you. I'm always influenced by film scores. Yeah, well, you feel that. You feel that. Thank you. I am happy to have you here for a number of reasons. One, we get to hear great music. The other time is one of the last official interviews I got to do with you years ago. It was not a sit-down or a stand-up like today. It was a you were in a hospital bed, and I was <laughs> standing next to it saying, are you sure you want to do an interview? And you said, why not? I got nothing else to do. <laughs> Just in a nutshell, and I know that you've done a zillion interviews and, and talked about it, but will you just talk about your heart adventures from an, an early age till now? Yeah, and, uh, people tell me all the time my music comes from the heart. Well, that heart that I was born with was actually only half there. I was born with a single functioning ventricle. It's called congenital heart disease. It's the number one birth defect and one of the least funded in the nations. Even You're, though it's number one? It Yeah, I don't know why there's... A hundred, there's about a million children born every year throughout the world with a deformed heart. Fortunately, there were surgeons here in Salt Lake City that knew what to do. Mm -hmm. I was not expected to survive, but the surgeons knew what to do. And so throughout my whole life, I've had to be in hospitals here and there getting croaked and prodded like an oh anesthetized frog in high school. But <laughs> Did they just install a zipper at some point? They or? should have. They should have. But it's kind of nice not having one. But uh, they did perform miraculous surgeries. I always refer to them as beautifully orchestrated mm. surgeries. And it all led up to eventually at age 36 when I received a heart transplant five years ago uh, this year. I waited 385 days, and finally a donor heart mm. became available because of the generosity of people who sign up to be organ donors. Well, let's put in a plug for that. Absolutely. Everybody can do that. It's not hard to do. But I'm here, and since it's been five years, and many great things have happened, and I feel amazing. And Well, I love see seeing uh, pictures of you climbing to the top of Mount Olympus <laughs> or running or bicycling with, the, with your your two little girls now and it just makes me smile every time thank you Th those things are things i never thought i could do but i can and i think every one of us sometimes maybe underestimate the the joy and the beauty that we have within us with with healthy hearts well you are really helping to raise awareness and don't worry we're getting right back to music here but i have to ask about uh, the paul cardall family foundation that you're helping people who have congenital heart disease celebrate life by continuing their education and i know that you perform at a lot of benefits i see you showing up in hospitals with young patients does that give them a lot of hope to, to just to be there and say, I've been there? I think it gives the parents hope because uh, these children, they don't know the future mm -hmm. for their children. They have hope. Of the, the, but then when they see somebody like me who's out there and successful and surviving and climbing mountains, they look at me and think, I want my child to yeah. have that, which is why so many people were helping our family mm -hmm. that we decided to give back and we created our foundation. And then I am a board member of Saving Tiny Hearts, which is a national organization, and we, we raise seed money for doctors who get federal grants to have medical research done to stop the numerous ch amounts of children who are being born with congenital heart yeah. disease or to prolong 
their lives so they can enjoy all, everything that's beautiful in this world. Well, and we're going to talk more about that. This is a perfect intro to this next song. We'll let you pat on over there. The reason I say pat is because Paul came in and kicked off his shoes and he's patting barefoot. I, I hope our pedal is warm enough for you. We'll start with uh, of two pieces here. The first is Life and Death.
That's Paul Cardall performing his composition, Life and Death. And if it has a familiar ring to it, like maybe the theme music from the television show Lost, well, you've got good ears. Paul says he watched a lot of Lost while waiting for his heart transplant. And then when he could, he expanded on the piece with his own arrangement, his own interpretation there. Next one that uh, I would have to say is one of my personal favorites. It's an arrangement of a traditional hymn, and I've heard it with strings, and I'm really excited actually to hear it the way that it must have originally been written when he arranged this, just the piano. And this is called Redeemer. Thank you. 
That's Redeemer, performed live by Paul Cardall. You're listening to BYU Radio. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. And if you're home thinking, oh, I want to play that myself, you know, you can. Uh, I mean, if you know how to play the piano, you can find sheet music for that and all the songs you're going to hear today. They're online at Paul's website, paulcardall.com. And uh, I think it's really cool to hear it. How it would have, when I hear you play that last one, I'm also hearing the strings and the arrangement from the album. But when you're writing a piece, are you just concentrating on the feeling of it or are you imagining all of that too? Or where, where do you focus? Um, I focus on feeling of emotion. Mm-hmm. I sit and I try to come up with a melody that sounds heartwarming, mm-hmm. have some tragedy in there, but then also have some hope. And with Redeemer, I mean, the very heart of my music is my love for the Lord, for God. And he's always been there for me. So when I create, I try to do something that unintentionally brings that love that I have for him Hmm. to people so that they can feel, hopefully, his love through the music. You grew up in a family of eight kids. Did everybody take piano lessons? I'm just picturing absolute <laughs> chaos if this was true. But. It was chaos. Anyone with uh, a large family will tell you it's chaos. Uh, but basically, we my, my sisters took piano lessons from my great aunt. She loved to play the jazz from the 20s and 30s. Uh-huh. So when I took piano lessons at age eight, I didn't survive because we used to go down into a dark room where she bottled all her peaches <laughs> and there was a file cabinet that had all these waltzes and minuets and a lot of Duke Ellington. Uh-huh. And as an eight-year-old, I had no interest and I frustrated her. And to this day, uh, I regret, but I, I quit taking piano lessons. <laughs> so when you see bottled peaches, do you have some <laughs> unconscious response? The only thing I try to think is those are delicious. That's okay, the best okay. way to have peaches. <laughs> So after that experience, uh, I understand that you got into uh, playing piano again by sloughing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was very attracted to New Age music in uh-huh. the 80s. It was very popular. George Winston, yeah. Yanni, they were taking kind of a classical piano sound and forming pop music out of them without words. And I heard an artist playing the piano somewhere in the school and I followed him through the hallway like the rat following the Pied uh-huh. Piper and I found this musician playing the piano and he became my mentor his name is Ryan Stewart and he himself has released some beautiful records was he sloughing too skipping class I don't or know was if the... he was sloughing <laughs> I, I was a student leader so I think I had an excuse but, okay. okay well but, maybe uh, I'm using choosing too strong a word <laughs> But if, you know, the Huck Finn, Tom, Tom Sawyer thing sounds about right, because uh, we became good friends, and together I started to write and create mm-hmm. and compose and understand the piano like a puzzle to where I just needed to put together the pieces. So what was different then than when you were eight? It's just that you heard a sound that, you, that spoke to you. I had undergone some, some things with heart surgery, and then I had lost a friend who was healthy to, a, mm-hmm. to an accident. And I went to my parents' piano in the living room, and I sat at the piano, and that's where a melody came to me. It just came through me uh, and was there, and it spoke peace to me. Mm. And then I met Ryan Stewart at the same time, and all this New Age music that was on the radio, there was something drawing me to playing the piano 
and it became my hobby, my addiction. I was playing three hours a day because it made me feel peace. And that is, you know, since then, that's been my goal is to help others yeah. feel peace. Yeah, not just you feeling it, but here we are 13 albums later and so many people, as we've just tried to get prepped a little for this and say, Who, who's Paul? What's he done lately and all of this? It has been amazing to us to read comments on YouTube, on your website. I have no idea if you've even had time to read them all, but everybody writes in with, uh, I, I couldn't get to sleep because of this, or you helped us this song my father wanted to hear every night until he passed and these are people sharing they're not just saying i've just got to uh, you know get up and dance they're they're talking about the most meaningful moments of their life there was a soldier that wrote me in afghanistan he was having a hard time going to sleep amidst all the turmoil and chaos and he heard my music and it helped him fall asleep not every musician would say, yes, I, my musician will put, music will put you right to sleep. But if I, I take it as a compliment because yeah. we need things to calm us down in a very fast-paced technological society and mm. in war. Yeah, just picture, picture that situation. Such a beautiful compliment. It was so humbling to receive something like that because I believe some of the other soldiers were like, what are you listening to? And then he said, try it. Mm. And they were also getting sleep from it as well. Wow. Uh, some of the families and the victims of the Oklahoma City bombing requested some of your music to be played at a memorial ceremony where flowers were placed on. If people remember those em empty chairs that were set there as part of the monument, which was a beautiful way of remembering. When you hear about something like that, that just must be amazing to know that, that it's touching other people the way it touches you. It's a beautiful vindication of hard work, of trying to access the divine, mm -hmm. not knowing if I actually pull it off. But when you get the feedback that people are healing from listening to the music, you realize that music is much more powerful than just something you listen to. It is medication. <laughs> That's a great way to think of it. it. And the side effects are all good. It is good. There's actually studies that have been done to prove that people that listen to this type of music have boosted their immune system and are more likely to not be as depressed or need antidepressants. Hmm. Well, let's try some music therapy now. <laughs> We're going to have you head over and play a piece. This piece is called Sweet Escape. Paul was also asked to write some music honoring the Japanese Americans that lived at the internment camps in Utah, like Topaz and others, during World War II. It's just interesting to see the wide gamut of people who have really connected with this music. Here's Sweet Escape.
That's Sweet Escape, original music, written and performed by our special guest today, Paul Cardall. You're listening to BYU Radio. Uh, Paul, you founded your own record label, uh, Stone Angel Music, years ago, but uh, now you even have a studio to go with it. Does it, did it feel like it needed a, a home base? Not too many uh, studios today have uh, our record labels. Most uh -huh. record labels go out and rent space. And I got a little tired of looking at the clock when I was creating. Oh, yeah. What, ticking the money exactly. like the cab meter. You, only had, you have a budget. And I didn't want to have to deal with a budget. I wanted to be able to sit there, push record, and capture the moments. Mm. Just like if I was in my living room. And so we built a studio in Salt Lake City. We have a Steinway there. We are the only studio in the area with, with the Steinway uh, where we're recording albums. Mm. And I'm very excited about the future and the and, albums and that will come you've out got, of You've got room for a lot of musicians, too. I mean, this isn't just a closet studio. This is No, we have, <laughs> we have space for orchestras and bands are in there recording. We don't rely on bands to be there to record, but it's primarily just a nice environment where it's relaxing and peaceful. You can have a good spirit there and write and compose and create and You record. must have loved go having that. I thought right off the bat I'd come up with all these ideas, but having the studio, now that it's there, now it's a matter of uh, getting in there and getting the work done. <laughs> and managing the studio. Right. And, but you, you've also been instrumental, no pun intended very much, That's about pun, getting That's a, a lot pun. of, uh, I'm sure you've never heard it before, <laughs> of getting other artists uh, recording. I've heard some beautiful guitar work from Ryan Tilby, and also you produced the Sacred Cello album, Stephen Sharp Nelson. Of course, a lot of folks, if they just picture the piano guys performing at one of the seven wonders of the world or wherever they're filming videos these days, uh, you signed him. Stephen was playing with me uh, long before John Schmidt. He was playing with other artists from Salt Lake City. Uh -huh. And when you hear my music, you'll hear Stephen Sharp Nelson's cello. And I thought, gosh, he just... People need to hear him as an individual. So Stone Angel Music, we went to Steve and said, let's release the Sacred Cello series. At, be at the beginning, he was a little hesitant. Nobody wants to listen to just cello music. But we launched the album, and it debuted on the classical crossover chart right next to Yo-Yo Ma. Hmm. And there was some Who has never been afraid to collaborate he, no, with he anybody. No, he has not. <laughs> so then uh, the pianist John Schmidt, who... I always admired uh, from Salt Lake City, very successful, went to Steve and said, Steve, you ought to start playing with me now. And then they made a series of YouTube videos and now they are off to doing great things. They are the biggest thing since Mannheim Steamroller hmm. and playing all over the world. So kudos to Steve, but we've been able to recently just release an album that is a collection of some of the best work that he did for us. It's called Grace, a Sacred Cello Collection. Wow, nice, nice. Now, it's interesting you met, you mentioned video because I understand you studied film in college. I did, and I thought to myself, gosh, do I either make a career at music or film? Either way, it's going to be challenging. Yeah. So I stuck with playing the piano, though. But I, but you're working on video right now. Is that just something since the days of MTV that we expect we're going to see our music? YouTube is sort of the future of 
music. We see a lot of people performing on YouTube and being discovered that way. I have hesitated for a little while to do music videos because I want people to interpret and receive their own revelation for the music. I don't want to have to put a face or a story to the music. That they're going to see every time they hear it. Exactly. Mm. There is a story if people are seeking, but you know, when Mozart did Symphony 25, he didn't tell people what it was about. It's up to us to decide. Mm. And I like that approach. But because I am trying to raise awareness of congenital heart disease, I'm doing an album called Saving Tiny Hearts, and I'm donating my royalties to help fund medical research so that people like me can live longer. Yeah. And so the video is going to be based on Gracie's theme, a song I wrote for a family. Who oh, yeah. Please tell us her story because this is a sweet, sweet story. Such a remarkable story. They had a beautiful little girl named Gracie, and right away she needed heart surgery, and she was not going to survive. But a miracle happened. She was able to get off life support, and the family took her home for a year. And they enjoyed her for a year, but then she needed a heart transplant. And with complications in the surgery, she passed away. That had such a profound impact on me because not only was this a beautiful, sweet, innocent child, but my medical team at the same time was Gracie's medical team. Oh, you knew everybody involved. I knew everybody involved. And to see this family lose their child, I thought, gosh, I, why isn't everybody getting the miracle that my parents had? And I wanted to celebrate her because I believe there is life after death. It is hard to lose somebody, but we will see them again, one of my core beliefs. And so I wanted to create a piece of music that was a celebration of Gracie because Gracie represents all of these kids that go home way too early in our eyes. Mm -hmm. And if you listen close at the end of the piece, you, you feel this celebration. That even though there was this loss, there is hope. There is hope, and I believe there is hope for people that have congenital heart disease. This song uh, that you've written, this piece, Gracie's Theme, uh, this is going to be the subject of the video. Is it also on this new CD? The, it is. It's really it's the main... It's called Saving Tiny Hearts? Saving Tiny Hearts. It's not out until November, but this is the. it's been five years since I had a heart, and this is kind of the little epic celebration of that event and just to bring awareness to to the millions of kids with heart defects. Good. Well, let's hear Gracie's theme. That story is the perfect lead-in to hear this. Paul Cardall performing Gracie's theme live here on Highway 89.
Gracie's theme performed live on BYU Radio. Well, you know, we still have just a couple minutes. I'm going to try and squeeze one or two more questions in because this is fun to talk to you. Uh, you wrote a music that tied in with Richard Paul Evans' best-selling book, uh, The Christmas Box, which was kind of interpreting a story through music. And then you've had a lot of music used in various films. And even looking online, I, I can't believe how many people have made their own videos. I mean, these are people <laughs> saying, I like this music, I'll make a movie to go with it. And people are making their own videos using your songs. What is it you think that makes it cinematic, what you do? I think the music tells a story, the way that I've formulated the song. Uh -huh. it's, it's classical music that's designed like a pop song, and I think the interpretation that people receive with the orchestra when you attach the orchestra people are seeing scenes out of somewhere in time or the man from snowy river mm. or dances with wolves but john barry is a big influence in my life uh, michael giacchino who wrote lost mm -hmm. and up in star trek is a big influence han zimmer yeah who has written many pieces i listen to because there's no more of that new age piano artists that I that I love you know I fell in love mm -hmm. with in the 80s my own taste I think has become more sophisticated and so I'm listening not only to more classical music but I'm listening to film composers and now as a film composer myself I'm just trying to capture a broader I guess understanding for the mind to, to comprehend yeah, there's something something open and sweeping about these pieces we've heard today. I'm sad, that, but this ends this edition of Highway 89. I know you've got more music. Maybe we can have you back sometime. Paul Cardall is a genre-crossing musical artist with Billboard chart-making albums. He's the author of the memoir, Before My Heart Stops. He's a Steinway artist and an in-demand public speaker and performer for benefit concerts. Find information about his latest projects. You can also find piano sheet music for everything you've heard today listed online at paulcardall.com and on his Facebook page. Paul, thank you again for coming in today. It's my pleasure. And we love to hear from you, our listeners. Send your comments and questions by email to highway89 at byu.edu. Highway 89 is a production of BYU Broadcasting in Provo, Utah. The recording engineer is Mark Waite. Our producer is Jackie Tateishi. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Thanks for listening. <laughs>